Welcome to May I Inquire, the Michael Silver podcast. As you can probably guess from the title, I'm your host, Michael Silver. I'm an attorney and a partner at Schutz & Bowen, a full-service business law firm with offices throughout Florida. May I Inquire is my chance to have conversations with thought leaders of different backgrounds and across various industries. I'll be talking to my guests about many things, but mainly law, leadership, and life, and more specifically, how the law impacts their professional and personal lives. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Melissa Satius. Melissa is Duke Energy's state president in Florida, serving approximately 1.9 million electric retail customers in Central Florida. She is responsible for the financial performance of Duke Energy's regulated utility in Florida and for managing state and local regulatory matters. Over her 35-year career with the company, she has served in numerous roles with increasing leadership responsibilities, most recently as vice president of government and community relations in Florida. Melissa has a strong tradition of supporting her community with service on numerous boards for nonprofit and business organizations, including the Pinellas County Urban League and as past chair of the board of directors for the St. Petersburg Downtown Partnership. She also has a long history of service to the University of South Florida, and she currently serves as a member of its board of trustees. Melissa Sacious, welcome to May I Inquire. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Most people know that Duke Energy is a utility company, an electric company. Um, but my hunch is that it is a lot more than that and goes a little bit wider and a lot deeper than that. So I wanted to ask you if you could start by uh, talking about what Duke Energy is and what it does, who it serves, what its business is. Sure. Well, uh, so Duke Energy is a company that's been here in Florida and headquartered in St. Petersburg for nearly 120 years. And we have the privilege of serving nearly 2 million accounts, if you will, and more importantly, 4 million people in 35 counties and 120 some odd uh, municipalities. I think most importantly, uh, we are part of the community. Our employees live here, they play here, they work here. And so uh, having the privilege of serving those customers day in, day out um, really is, I think, quite extraordinary for us. Beyond just providing electricity to Duke Energy's customers, what would you say your company does that someone might not know about just on the street and say, oh, they, they just make electricity? Can you tell us more about what Duke Energy does that people may not know about that I think they might be surprised to know about? Jerg, I would gladly uh, like to share some of what it means to us to be a good corporate citizen. That includes everything from investments to nonprofit organizations, from founda our foundation, sponsorships of those organizations, and supporting groups that are important to the local community. An extension of that is our investment in economic development and working with companies to bring jobs here to Florida. And those jobs, you know, most times are not specific to our industry, but they help grow and strengthen the state financially. They bring talented workforce here. They bring a next generation of leaders and we get to be part of that. So I think that those are some of the things that people often don't know about us as far as our engagement. We also have such talented employees and leaders and they serve and volunteer. Melissa, I think a lot of people have a perception of an electric company 
or maybe no perception of an electric company when it comes to how do they get the power um, that they receive? How are they turning on their computer, their light switches? How are they powering uh, other things around their home or, or office or business? And I'd like to ask you to, to talk to me and talk to us. Could you explain how your company works in terms of creating and delivering power and, and the different ways that Duke Energy does that? Sure, gladly. We generate and transmit and deliver service uh, to our customers. So from the big power plants to the transmission lines to the meter in someone's uh, neighborhood on their home. And for decades, this industry has uh, not had necessarily a wide diverse choice of fuel sources, you know, heavy coal, uh, nuclear, natural gas in the last uh, few decades, of course, has become more of a source. But for us here at Duke Energy, uh, we recognize and our customers tell us their expectation is we need to generate cleaner energy, greener energy. And we want to be and intend to be on the leading edge of that. And so we have our business strategy is our green energy strategy. They are one and the same. And so really kind of the three parts of our overall strategy are generating cleaner, greener energy, modernizing our grid to ensure that it's reliable and that it's prepared to help deliver on greener energy, especially around solar. And then the third part, of course, is all about our customers and our stakeholders and bringing them value uh, through products and services, through empowering them on how they use and manage uh, the, the product that we provide to them. And so all of those three components really make up uh, what is on the other end of that light switch um, or when somebody plugs in their phone or they go to watch Netflix, uh, in a lot of ways, we don't want them to have to think about, oh, I wonder where this is being sourced from. Cleaner energy, and that's something I wanted to ask you about. It, clearly, that's a focus and a, and a buzzword. You also talked about modernizing the grid, and I wanted to ask you to explain what you mean by that. Does that have anything to do with protecting and hardening your systems from storms uh, that seem to come with ever-increasing frequency? And, and, and what can people expect utilities, and in particular Duke Energy Florida, are doing on that front to better um, support and harden the systems that deliver power to power their homes and businesses? Yeah, it's a really important part. You know, we can, we can create greener energy, and we still have to deliver that to people's mm -hmm. homes, communities, neighborhoods, commercial businesses, industrial businesses. So uh, we are uh, in the midst of deploying about $6 billion over the next 10 years on what we're calling the storm protection plan. And this allows us to build that reliable system, that grid system that not only protects against weather events, but also is able to grow with our customer base as well. Uh, it's a wide variety of investments because we have a, a complex system with lots of different equipment. And so we use data to help us determine where we start what we focus on um, and an important part of this investment and making these uh, 
these improvements to the system include communicating with our customers. As I say, nobody wants to wake up on a Tuesday morning and find a fleet of trucks out in front of their home and not know what's going on. So an important part of conveying what we're doing, as you said a few moments ago, sometimes people don't, you know, they don't think about where their power comes from or uh, until the power goes off. Melissa, tell us a a fun fact about Duke Energy uh, that people on the outside wouldn't know. Tell us something that that would surprise people about Duke Energy. Sure. Uh, So I'll I'll use an example, recent example. A couple weeks ago, I spent a day up in the panhandle helping to release redfish. Okay. And I was sharing with somebody, uh, they had asked me to participate in the meeting. I said, I can, I got to uh, help release redfish. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. what does Duke Energy have to do with redfish? So we have a mariculture center up in Citrus County as part of our Citrus County Energy Complex. And we hatch and raise millions of fish, uh, redfish, snook, and other types that we release into the Gulf of Mexico. And we do this, we've been doing it for years and have released, I think, over 4 million fish since the uh, late 90s, mid to late 90s. And uh, we do this in partnership with uh, nonprofit organizations that focus on preservation of our waters around the state of Florida and coastal conservation. Melissa, you were named the president of Duke Energy Florida in February 2021. Could you describe a day in the life uh, of a state president of Duke Energy? What do you do? Most days or some days, day in, day out. Well, no day is ever the same. They hardly are. They hardly are. Uh, No day is ever the same. Uh, There's never a dull moment either. And uh, it is often starting off the day thinking about uh, the people that I'll get to engage with, uh, the people that we are going to affect in a positive way, primarily our customers and our communities, uh, and really setting the stage for the future when I'll be long retired, as will a lot of my colleagues, but to know that we are setting in place, especially around greener generation and fleet transition, uh, that we are setting into motion the things that will allow us to be successful and meet those expectations in the future. So, you know, that's kind of big picture. Duke Energy is not a small company. It takes a lot, I'm sure, to deliver Uh, energy to your customers. Can you talk about who the people are, what roles they play, what do they do, so that our listeners can understand what it takes to go from creating the power to delivering the power to your customers? It's a robust, complex, big machine. And it is everything from the mechanical, very operational side that I talked about a moment ago, the generation, the transmission, um, you know, poles and wires and pipes. It is keeping up on the technology side. It's also uh, cybersecurity, ensuring that our system is safe. Safety is a really important element of, of all of that. But the um, my, my immediate team uh, that I interact with day to day includes uh, just superstar talented people, including uh, rates and regulatory, government, community relations, state uh, relationships, corporate communications, legal. But the thing is, it is everyone 
plays a role in helping us deliver on those three expectations that I talked to you about earlier, generating greener, cleaner energy, modernizing the grid and bringing value to our customers and to our stakeholders and shareholders. So everyone has a role in this, whether they don't interact, whether they never interact with the customer directly or if they interact with a customer every single day. What have been the biggest surprises, both good and bad, uh, since you took over as state president? The, the good is not surprising to me. It is the sheer quality of the team of people that work here in Florida for this company. We have about a little less than 4,000 employees that uh, call Florida home. We're part of a bigger enterprise. And uh, the quality of the team and the commitment has only been reinforced through my engagement that I'm uh, allowed to have kind of the privilege that I have of engaging at, at, uh, from this particular office. And the bad is probably, it's not, it's not really so much uh, bad as it is. Maybe, maybe unexpected or, or um, some, something along those I'll lines. I'll say surprising. Okay. We'll go with surprising. surprising. And, and maybe, so I've been with the company for 35 years. Right. It is amazing to me how much I learn every single day. Okay. Every single day. It is, uh, things that I'm, that I have probably learned a long time ago and forgot. Uh, but I would say that it is also, uh, just brand new exposure to, uh, parts of the regulated world and, uh, the financial world as well, which is an important part, right? Because we're a, we're a capital intensive industry and we, that's a very important part of our ability to be able to, um, get that capital to invest in the systems that we know that we need to deliver a smarter energy future. As you mentioned, you have been with Duke Energy and its predecessors for 35 years now. How in that time have you seen both the company change and the industry change? I have probably forgotten more than I ever uh, could imagine. 35 years, a lot has changed. A lot has changed. I mean, when I started with the company as a part-time draftsperson, uh, drawing, hand-drawing the system, uh, you know, poles and wires, which was the best education on how to, on how the system works. And it has paid dividends every single day of my career. And, uh, you know, at that time, like I said, hand-drawing maps, uh, there was no GIS, there was no email. Uh, if you wanted to call somebody out in the field, you had to do it on a radio, right? Uh, versus a cell phone. Uh, so there's those kinds of day-to-day -day, uh, things as well. As we've uh, talked about, it's also the, expect the, the changes that have come for and around the importance of generating cleaner energy. That has probably been one of the biggest changes uh, that, that I have seen. And I think the other part, at least for our company, has really been a true um, embrace of engaging with our customers and our diverse stakeholders for input. Tell us where we can do better. Tell us where we have fallen short. What are we doing right? What else can we do? And those are conversations with elected officials. Those are conversations with nonprofit organizations. And a lot of people care about us staying in business because we're an important part of uh, their 
their business, their business. And so they care enough to truly give us the feedback. And that's invaluable, truly, to have somebody who cares enough to give candid input and feedback to make us better because they recognize that if we're better, then they will be better as well. When you look into your crystal ball, turn over your magic eight ball, so to speak, and look 35 years into the future, because pretty sure Duke Energy, as much as any other company or any other business industry, must look much longer into the future, have a much longer horizon than most other businesses. What do you see 35 years down the road? First and foremost, we have a goal by 2030 uh, to reduce our carbon by 50% and to be 100% carbon neutral by 2050. So that is kind of the, 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 the eye on the prize out into, uh, out into the future. But that's got to start now. And so it does take very kind of transformative thinking by our employees now who may not, we don't know what the future will hold, but it takes kind of that open view, kind of eyes wide open to say, we've got to help put into place what we do know. If there's a game changing, industry changing technology that occurs in five years, is our system ready for that? If there's long-term battery storage that's available, is our transmission system ready for that? Is our distribution system ready for that? Those are the things that we can do now to help prepare for a future that we don't you know, have 100% insights into. And that's the exciting thing about it. And it's so fun and cool to see new people come into the company whether it's a new engineer, new graduate, college graduate, uh, new line uh, personnel coming on board and seeing the company and the, the industry through their eyes uh, versus you know those who have been here and have just intense, deep institutional knowledge. And combining those two make us uh, well positioned to be able to keep looking at, you know, five years out, 10 years out, 30 years out, long after uh, this current generation is uh, hopefully enjoying a healthy retirement. <laughs> How do you see renewable energy sources playing a role both in Duke Energy and in the electric and power industry at large? Oh, it's critical. Absolutely. Uh, hands down renewables, especially on the solar side, um, because we've seen that technology advance. We've saw the prices go down. Renewables are critically important. And this is one of the real benefits of the Duke Energy Florida business being part of a bigger business. And that is kind of that scale. And across the nation, we have about 10,000 megawatts of solar and other types of renewables, wind uh, across the, the country. And we, we learn from that and work with our industry peers to help share that, um, the benefits and the lessons learned that come, come out of that work. Melissa, Duke Energy is a regulated utility, which means the government keeps a pretty close eye on it, which means you probably need to have a good number of lawyers looking out for the company's interests and protecting the company. And so since I, of course, am a lawyer, and this is a podcast a little bit about the law, can you talk about how the role of the law 
lawyers, your internal legal department, um, being a regulated utility, how your role as state president and how your company is impacted by the by the rule of law and by the impact of the law? As you state, uh, certainly as an investor-owned utility and across the country, it's very historical, right? The uh, reasons for the heavy regulation uh, that uh, covers and governs uh, electric providers. And so uh, having those bodies are important, our regulating bodies, because it ensures the protection of consumers. And so with many decades of working with our regulators, uh, yes, we have on staff and others, some very talented, dedicated legal counsel uh, that ensures that we are delivering on the commitments that are expected from us, uh, from the Florida Public Service Commission, and also ensuring that we are in compliance. And that's critically important. So. We love our lawyers. (laughs) We do. That warms my heart, Melissa. No, we do. As a lawyer, that's good to hear. We do. They, you know, and and what I always appreciate about about our uh, attorneys and our legal counsel is that quite often they'll say, you know, here's the legal opinion, things you have to keep in mind, but this is really more a business decision. And I appreciate that, right? Because it, we want to make sure that decisions that we are making, that we ha- are in, well-informed and certainly uh, abide by the rule of law, uh, the laws of the state of Florida. Uh, but if there, if it's truly a business decision, that gives us a different flexibility, right, than we would have if we were strictly um, being ruled in a, with a particular situation uh, by a set of Laws. It, it's funny you mentioned that that y- your own legal counsel will sometimes tell you this is more of a business decision because frequently in my own practice I will talk to a client and say essentially the same thing. You can go one of a number of ways here. None of them are wrong. All of them are legal. What helps your business? What what is going to move the ball forward in your business? And it's a business decision. Here are the legal options. What works best for you? Would you say in your position that you deal with lawyers and issues of law on a weekly basis or even more frequently than that? To ask it a different way, Melissa, do you have the privilege, uh, using quotes there, of talking to lawyers uh, often? I would say every single day. Okay. Every single day. Lucky you. And quite often it's me going to them, right, to understand anything from kind of uh, process and procedures uh, or just asking for insight. Another one of the themes of the podcast is leadership. Melissa, how would you describe your leadership style? I think my leadership is, I would say, inclusive. And the reason I say that is because although I have the true privilege of serving in this role, there's very few decisions that I make on my own. I ask and need input from subject matter experts, uh, counselors, guidance, both informal and uh, formal. And so when I say inclusive, um, it's not to get paralyzed by indecision, but it's to make sure that I'm making the 
best informed decision possible. Melissa, I know you've served in a lot of other leadership roles, particularly in the community. You serve on the Board of Trustees of the University of South Florida. You are a past chair of the St. Petersburg Downtown Partnership, and on and on and on. I know that's very important to you. What have you learned by participating in those other organizations, by being involved in other leadership roles in the community that has informed how you have undertaken your role as state president here? Serving on a community board or a business board, what an education. And I could not, I don't think, ever truly repay the number of people who have taught me along the way, both um, intentionally and unintentionally, what I have learned from working with other leaders. I think serving on a board is kind of the ultimate form of volunteerism because it's not a one and done and you're, you know, either a donor, a door opener, a doer, or you're all three. And um, being able to watch an organization, especially a business organization or nonprofit organization, change people's lives for the better is a pretty amazing experience. And so I feel like I've probably benefited more than maybe I have even given. So. I'm always grateful for for those opportunities. And if I may take a moment just to also add that as a mom, as a mother uh, with a young son at the time when I really got involved in government community relations and serving on boards, it to me gave my son um, kind of an unintentional education Uh, and I think in so many ways, even though I had to spend time away from him, he knew I was involved in helping. And I think as now he's 18, I think it's made him a better citizen. I think because he, he sees that being involved is, um, in something bigger than yourself is a gift. Melissa, you just mentioned your family. I know you have kids and grandkids And we've also talked about that uh, electricity needs to run 24-7, so this job can be 24-7. And I'm sure you could do it 24-7 if you didn't need to take a break every now and then. How do you flip the proverbial switch, (laughs) to use an electric analogy, and turn off the lights and transition out of your role? And how do you maintain a work-life balance? I think a big part of this is I love what I do, right? Um, And there's a certain adrenaline uh, that comes not just with this job, but the previous jobs that I have had. And so uh, that has, you know, fuels me, I think, as a person. But I also recognize that I'm no good to anybody if I'm completely burned out. Uh, I need time to think. And uh, so for me, Uh, I have to, one, I have an incredibly supportive husband who uh, I just, I cannot put into words how much, um, I'll say infrastructure he provides (laughs) as far as supporting me. But it's sometimes just uh, little things. I'm an early riser. I get up about 5, 5.30. I go out and do a little walk-run routine where it's dark. I know I won't run into my neighbors. Uh, It gives me time to think. gives me a head start on my steps. And uh, it's just a good way to to start the day. Uh, I'm also an avid reader. And so that's also kind of one of my escapes uh, as well. What is a book that you enjoyed? 
So a friend of mine just gave me a gift, a book. Uh, it's called Under the Same Sky. And it is about um, a young Jewish woman whose grandmother uh, was a Holocaust survivor. And it's her story of retracing her grandmother's life. And so I just started this. As a history major, uh, reading is uh, just uh, has always been... Even when I couldn't really afford books, I would go to the library and load up on them as much as possible. Yeah, so I have a, a long, a long list of, uh, of, of books. Melissa, to thank you for coming on the podcast, uh, we'll be making a charitable donation in your honor. And so who are we going to contribute to and why is that organization important to you? I have a list of like eight. Okay. <laughs> so, well, what are some of the organizations? I won't ask you to make a contribution to eight organizations. I, it's very uh, gracious of you to, to do that. And I think that's really a wonderful way to wrap up our time together. So I will ask uh, if you'll donate that to Moffitt Cancer Center. Okay. Uh, Moffitt holds a very special place uh, for my family. My husband is a very rare pancreatic cancer survivor. He was diagnosed in 2012. Uh, he is doing very, very well uh, 10 years later. And uh, I, I joke, he will outlive me because he has had so many doctors looking at him and making sure that he lives a very long life. And so, um, yes, Moffitt would be, uh, would be wonderful. And if, and if I can just add to that, uh, when, when he was diagnosed, there is really no way that I would have survived that experience. I had uh, experience, I had a third grader at the time. And I could not have done it without my Duke Energy family. They were there for me every single step of the way from calling on me, checking on me, going to meetings for me, uh, bringing food to my house, picking up my kid, uh, you name it, whatever I needed, uh, they were there for me over a long haul. It was, it was a long experience. So thank you uh, thank for making that contribution. Thank you. And, um, Thanks for joining us, Melissa. It was great talking to you and great learning about Duke Energy and uh, a pleasure talking to you about books. I appreciate yes, it. Yes, I feel like we need to we need to have a follow-up conversation on that one. O over, over a good book, I'm sure. There you go. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of May I Inquire. I hope you'll join me for future conversations. For more information about Schutz & Bowen, please visit us online at schutz.com. I'm Michael Silver. Thanks for listening. This podcast should not be construed as legal advice and is intended for general informational or educational purposes only. Its distribution and receipt does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Schutz & Bowen. The views set forth in this podcast are the personal views of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of Schutz & Bowen.